Chapter 84 of Consuelo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Consuelo by George Sand. Chapter 84. It was not to the Embassy of Venice, but to the Ambassador's private residence, that Porpora conducted Consuelo. Bellamina, who did the honors of the mansion, was a beautiful creature, infatuated with music, and whose whole pleasure and ambition was to assemble at her house those artists and dilettanti whom she could attract there, without compromising by too much ostentation the diplomatic dignity of Signor Corner. At the appearance of Consuelo, there was at first a moment of surprise and doubt, then a cry of joy and cordiality. As soon as the company ascertained that it was indeed the Zingarella who had made such a sensation the preceding year at San Samuel, Philomena, who had seen her, when quite a child, trotting to her house behind Porpora, carrying his music and following him like a little dog, had cooled considerably toward her on seeing her afterward receive so much applause and homage in the saloons of the nobility, and so many wreaths upon the stage. It was not that this handsome creature was ill-natured, or that she deigned to be jealous of a girl so long considered frightfully ugly. But Philomena liked to play the great lady, as all those do who are not so. She had sung grand pieces with Porpora, who, treating her as an amateur, had let her try everything while poor Consuelo was still studying that famous little manuscript in which the master had concentrated all his method, and to which he kept his real pupils for five or six years. Philomena did not imagine, therefore, that she could feel for the Zingarella any other sentiment than that of a charitable interest. But because she had formerly given her some sugar plums, or put into her hands a picture book to prevent her from being wearied when waiting in her antechamber. She concluded that she had been one of the most efficient patronesses of the youthful songstress. She had therefore considered it very extraordinary and improper that Consuelo, having reached at one bound the highest pinnacle of triumph, had not shown herself humble, zealous, and grateful toward her. She had expected that whenever she happened to have a select and recherche party, Consuelo would graciously and gratuitously provide the entertainment of the evening by singing for her and with her as often and as long as she desired, and that she could present her to her friends with all the prestige of having been mainly instrumental to her success and having almost formed her taste for music. Matters had happened otherwise. Porpora, who had much more at heart the raising of his pupil Consuelo to the rank which belonged to her in the hierarchy of art, than that of pleasing his protectress, Villamina, laughed in his sleeve at the pretensions of the latter, and forbade Consuelo to accept the invitations, at first rather too familiar, afterward rather too imperious of Madame the Ambassadress of the Left Hand. 
he found a thousand pretexts to excuse himself from taking her there, and Wilhelmina had thereupon taken a strange dislike to the debutante, even going so far as to say that she was not handsome enough ever to have undisputed success, that her voice, agreeable indeed in a saloon, wanted power and effect in the theater, and she did not fulfill upon the stage all the promise of her childhood, and a thousand other malicious remarks of the same kind, known in every age and country. But the enthusiastic clamor of the public soon smothered these little insinuations, and Wilhelmina, who piqued herself on being a good judge, a scientific pupil of Porpora, and a generous soul, did not venture to pursue this underhand war against the maestro's most brilliant pupil and the idol of the public. She joined her voice to those of the true dilettante to exalt Consuelo, and if she still slandered her a little for the pride and ambition she had shown in not placing her voice at the disposal of Madame the Ambassadress, it was in a very low voice and only to a very few particular friends that she thus blamed her. On this occasion, when she saw Consuelo appear in her modest toilette of former days, and when Porpora presented her officially, which she had never done before, Philomena, vain and frivolous as she was, forgave all, and took credit to herself for acting a great and generous part, as she kissed the Zingarella on both cheeks. She is ruined, thought she. She has committed some folly, or lost her voice, perhaps, for we have heard nothing of her for a long while. She returns to us unconditionally. Now is the proper moment to pity her, to protect her, and to put her talents to the proof, or to use them for my own profit. Consuelo had so gentle and conciliating an air that Wilhelmina, not finding in her that tone of haughty prosperity, which he supposed her to have assumed at Venice, felt herself quite at ease with her, and paid her marked attention. Some Italians, friends of the ambassador, who were present, united with her in overwhelming Consuelo with praises and questions, which she succeeded in alluding with address and cheerfulness. But suddenly her countenance became grave, and even displayed symptoms of emotion, when, in the midst of a group of Germans who were gazing curiously at her from the extremity of the saloon, she recognized a face which had already troubled her elsewhere, that of the unknown friend of the canon, who had so minutely examined and questioned her three days before at the curates of the village in which she had sung the mass with Joseph Hayden. This unknown person again examined her with extreme curiosity, and it was easy to see that he was questioning his neighbors respecting her. Philomena remarked, Consuelo's absence of mind. You are looking at Mr. Holtzbauer, said she. Do you know him? I do not know him, replied Consuelo, and I am ignorant if it be he whom I am looking at. He is the first to the right of the mantelpiece, returned the ambassadress. He is at present the director of the court theater, where his wife is prima donna. He abuses his position, added she, in a low voice, in order to favor the court and city with his operas, which, between ourselves, are good for nothing. 
Do you wish me to introduce you to him? He is a very agreeable man. A thousand thanks, senor, replied Consuelo. I am of too little consequence here to be presented to such a personage, and I am certain beforehand that he will not engage me for his theater. And why so, sweet one? Can that beautiful voice, which had not its equal in all Italy, have suffered by your residence in Bohemia? For you have lived all this time in Bohemia, they say, the coldest and dullest country in the world. Such a climate must be very hurtful to the voice, and I am not astonished that you have experienced its bad effects. But that is nothing. You will soon recover your voice in our lovely Venetian clime. Consuelo, seeing that Villamina was determined to consider her voice as deteriorated, abstained from contradicting this opinion, especially as her companion furnished both question and answer. She was not agitated at this charitable supposition, but at the antipathy she had a right to expect from Holtzbauer, in consequence of the somewhat rude and rather too sincere answer respecting his music, which had escaped her at the breakfast in the presbytery. The court maestro would not fail to revenge himself by relating in what costume and in what company he had met her on the road, and Consuelo feared that if this adventure should reach Borpera's ears, it might prejudice him against her and especially against poor Joseph. It happened otherwise. Holtzbauer said not a word of the adventure, for reasons which will be known hereafter, and far from showing the least animosity toward Consuelo, he approached her with a good-humored, though arch and meaning smile. She pretended not to understand it. She feared even to seem to request his secrecy in the matter and whatever might be the consequences of this meeting, she was too proud not to brave them firmly. Her attention was distracted from this incident by the countenance of an old man who had a hard and haughty expression, but who nevertheless evinced a strong desire to engage in conversation with Porphyra. But the latter, faithful to his crusty humor, hardly answered him, and every moment made an effort or sought a pretext to get rid of him. That, said Villamina, who was not displeased to point out to Consuelo, the celebrities who adorned her saloon, is an illustrious composer, Buonocini. He has just arrived from Paris, where he himself played the violoncello in an anthem of his own composition before the king. You know that it is he who excited such enthusiasm in London, and who, after an obstinate contest of theater and theater with Handel, ended by vanquishing the latter in the opera. Do not say so, Signora," said Porpora, who had just disengaged himself from Buonocini, and approaching the two ladies, had heard Villamina's last words. Oh, do not utter such a slander. No one has surpassed Handel. No one ever will surpass him. I know Handel. You do not yet know him. He is the first among us, and I confess it frankly, although I was foolish enough to struggle against him in my youth. I was crushed as I ought to have been, and it was right. Buonocchini, more fortunate, but not more modest or skillful than myself, triumphed in the eyes and ears of fools and barbarians. Do not believe those who tell you of this triumph. 
It will be the eternal disgrace of my associate, Buono Gini, and England will one day blush for having preferred his works to those of a genius. What do I say of a giant such as Handel? The mode, the fashion, as they say there, bad taste, the skillful arrangement of the theater, a click, intrigues, and more than all, the wonderful talent of the singers whom Buonocini brought to his aid, apparently gained the day. But Handel has had his revenge in sacred music. As to Buonocini himself, I do not place great store by him. I am not fond of jugglers, and Buonocini has juggled in the opera just as much as in the cantata. Popper alluded to a shameful theft which had put all the musical world in commotion. Buonocini, having taken to himself in England the credit of a piece which Lottie had composed thirty years before, and which the latter had succeeded in triumphantly proving his own, after a long dispute with the audacious maestro, Philomena endeavored to defend Buonocini, and this contradiction excited Popper's spleen still more. I tell you, and I will maintain it, he exclaimed without caring whether Buonocini heard him or not, that Handel is superior, even in the opera, to all composers past or present. I shall prove it to you directly. Consuelo, seat yourself at the harpsichord and sing the air I shall point out. I am dying to hear the wonderful porporina, exclaimed Elamina, but I entreat that she may not make her debut here in presence of Buonocini and Holtzbauer by singing anything of Handel's. They would not be flattered by such a selection. I believe it well, said Porpora. It is their condemnation, their death warrant. Well, in that case, replied she, let her sing something of your own, maestro. You are aware, doubtless, that that would excite no one's jealousy. But for my part, I wish that you should sing from Handel. I will have it so. Do not ask me to sing today, Master, said Consuelo. I have just arrived from a long journey. Certainly it would be imposing on her good nature, said Villamina. And for my part, I do not press her to sing. In presence of the judges who are here, and Holtzbauer in particular, who has the direction of the Imperial Theater, you must not compromise your pupil. Look you to it. Compromise her? What are you dreaming of, said Porpora, bluntly, shrugging his shoulders. I heard her this morning, and I know whether she runs any risk before you Germans. His contention was happily interrupted by the arrival of a new personage. Everyone hastened to receive him, and Consuelo, who had seen and heard in her childhood at Venice this lean, effeminate-looking man, with his assuming manners and bravado air. Although he was now old, faded, ugly, ridiculously frizzled, and dressed out with the bad taste of a superannuated celadon. Recognized on the instant, so well had she remembered him, the incomparable, the inimitable soprano Caffarelli, or as he was more generally called, Caffariello. It would have been impossible to find a more impertinent, self-conceited fool than this good Caffariello. The women had spoiled him with their flatteries, and the applause of the public had turned his brain. 
He had been so handsome, or rather so pretty in his youth, that he had made his debut in Italy in female parts. But now, when he was bordering on fifty, he appeared much older than he really was, as sopranos generally do, and one could not imagine him acting Dido or Galatea without a great inclination to laugh. To make the matter worse, he affected the bravo, and at every turn raised his sweet, clear voice, without being able to change its expression. There was, nevertheless, something good under all this vanity and affectation. Cafariello felt his superiority too much to be amiable, but he was also too well aware of the dignity of the artist to be a servile flatterer. He held his own, however, absurdly, with the highest personages, even with sovereigns, and therefore he was not liked by those whose flattery his own impertinence too severely criticized. The true lovers of art pardoned everything on the score of his genius, and notwithstanding the baseness which was imputed to him in his private life, they were forced to admit that he displayed courage and generosity as an artist. It was not voluntarily or deliberately that he had seemed ungrateful and neglectful to a porpora. He recollected having studied eight years with him and having learned from him all that he knew. But he remembered still better the day on which his master had said to him, I can now teach you nothing more. Va, figlio mio, tu sei il primo musico del mondo. Footnote. Go, my son. Thou art the first singer in the world. And from this day, Caffiarello, who, after Farinelli, was really the finest singer in the world, ceased to trouble himself about anything except himself. Since I am the greatest, said he to himself, apparently I am the only one. The world has been made for me. Heaven has bestowed genius on poets and composers to enable Caffiarello to sing. Porpora was thought the first master of singing extant, only because he was destined to form Caffiarello. Now Porpora's work is ended, his mission is accomplished, and it is sufficient for his glory, his happiness, his fame, that Caffiarello lives and sings. Caffiarello had lived and sung. He was rich and prosperous. Porpora was poor and neglected. But Caffiarello was very easy on that head and said to himself that he had amassed so much gold and so much fame that his master should consider himself fully recompensed in having ushered such a prodigy into the world. End of chapter 84